Hey there. Welcome to Kim Moffat is a Fan. Today's episode is an interview with author Jennifer Keishan Armstrong. Jennifer wrote a book called So Fetch that just came out is about the making of Mean Girls. That's how I got introduced to her through our mutual friend, Stephanie Drummond, who you will hear us reference first in the beginning um, as Steph. And we give no context to it whatsoever, which I didn't even realize was happening until um, I went back and listened to the episode. We talk about this book. We also talk about what it's like to just be a fan of film and television. She's also written books like When Women Invented Television, Sex and the City and Us, Pop Star Goddesses, and Mary and Lou and Rhoda and Ted, a historical and behind the scenes look at the Mary Tyler Moore show. Her books are so good. Like I talk about here, if you know a lot about the topic, like I do with Mean Girls, or if you're going in completely blind and um, learning about women that you really didn't know much about before, like when women invented television, which does include information about Betty White, but it was stuff I had never heard of before. Um, Either way, she does such a great job of taking you through the history, looking at it very closely, and then looking at it with a wider lens. I highly recommend any and all of her books. I had a great time talking to her about shows that we both love, um, movies, TV shows, all that kind of good stuff. So please enjoy Jennifer Keishan Armstrong. So this is my first episode of this podcast where the guest is someone that I have never met before. So this is very exciting. Cool. And you're like a real professional. So I might, if it goes <laughs> bad, it's all on me. Know that. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be great. I hope so. <laughs> uh, if not, we'll completely just blame Steph. This will be all on her. That's right. That's that makes sense. That that yeah. that figures for me. Yeah. Someone's got to hold her accountable for something. You know. <laughs> <laughs> she's, right. In my mind, she's never done anything wrong in her life. So this will be like the one. You know. Truly, when you said that, I was like, she's so perfect that I just like I I don't imagine her ever doing anything but bringing joy and light to the world. So yeah, 100. I mean, yeah, absolutely. There's uh, no, (laughs) no going back. Like, yeah, that's just what it is. That's how she is. (laughs) So what I've been having people do is introduce themselves to start off this podcast. It makes things a lot easier for me. That's all we're looking for here. (laughs) I get it. And honestly, it's weird. I just had a moment of enlightenment because I'm like, oh, maybe that's the better way to go, right? Um, you know, cause it's like, I don't know, whenever I hear, listen to someone introduce me, I'm always like, uh, yeah. um, cause I don't know, they're just like pick the wrong things or like an old bio or something. So yeah, I will do that for you now. Um, I am Jennifer Cation Armstrong and I write books about pop culture history and I've written eight books now. Is that right? Yes. Eight books now. Um, and my most recent book is called So Fetch, and it is a cultural history of mean girls. Perfect. I love it. You know what I love about when people introduce themselves is like, then I get to hear what is top of mind for them. You know what I mean? Exactly. Instead of me deciding exactly. like, she's got a Pulitzer Prize. That's the biggest thing. You know what I mean? Like, this if person- I had that. <laughs> I've decided. Everyone that I've introduced so far has had one. That's what I ever, yeah, that's what, this is a straight through line to the Pulitzer Prize. I don't know why I've like, of all the things I decided to just award you with, but it feels good. It feels right. Well, I am currently reading um, Emily Nussbaum's book and she is, it literally says winner of the Pulitzer Prize 
on the cover. So I think you just like psychically could feel that. I think so. I think so. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So uh, let's start. I I, I don't know why. I want to start like when you were a little tiny, Jennifer, when you were Mm -hmm. a youth. Um, I've read, so I've read, I read So Fetch. I also read When Women Invented TV. Uh, Mm -hmm. I uh, just started the Seinfeld book. I didn't watch a lot of Seinfeld when I was a kid, but having read the first two books, I was like, I actually don't know that it really matters how much Seinfeld I watch because I just know I'm going to learn so much in this book, you know? That's so nice to hear simply because it's obvious that I know that most of the people reading my books that are like that are going to be fans of the thing. But Mm -hmm. one of my secret goals is to write a book that anyone could read. Like I like to think of it almost more as like, this is just a book about people making a TV show in the 90s and you can just sort of learn what that was like. And- um, you know, and Seinfeld's so big, maybe that you can also like you get it, you you know the gist at least, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but in your book, you talk about how you were a TV kid, not necessarily a movie kid. Uh, so I I am the same way. I grew up on TV. My friends often tease me about how I've never seen a movie in my entire <laughs> life. Um, do you feel like that's the case with you, or are you pretty evenly split between the two? I think I was a little more evenly split and certainly I think it's probably also it has it's like generational and stuff um, because it's something that I talk a lot about with like my partner and my friends is that um, we're sort of on the younger end of Gen X and like in the 90s especially it just felt like you just went to the movies Um, and that's not the case anymore and I think that's what's so fascinating it's obviously what movies are struggling with is because it used to be like what you did is you were like, I'm obviously going to go to the movies. Then you'd look and see what was there and you'd pick like the least offensive of all the options and you would go. So you didn't have to be like, oh my God, I'm so like so excited to go to this one movie. It was more like you just went to the movies, you know, in kind of the more monoculture days, like the eighties and the nineties, I think this was more the case. And there would be certain things that truly, I mean, we had it with Barbie last year, but it was, that's extremely rare now. Like now it's so exciting because it's so rare. It used to be like, I don't know, every week, every couple weeks, it's like, everybody's going to see Top Gun. Everybody's going to see Footloose. And you just, you just did. You didn't even know why. You feel like you just <laughs> were like, you just went to see things. And yeah. so I was into everything. Um, I was into all of pop culture. I loved music. I loved movies. I loved TV. But I did really love TV. Like that is absolutely the case that like, and maybe a little, if there was one that I loved more than the others slash loved more than other people, I would say it was TV. Like I think I talk about this in the book. I can't remember, but I tell this story all the time that I used to, I mean, truly I was like eight or something when I started doing this. I used to get like the print TV guide and I would first, I would read it all and I would then circle all the things I was going to watch for the week. So like, that's the level that we're talking about, you know, um, that's how much I was sort of into it. We just were, I think it had a huge amount to do with my household. Um, We watched TV together when I was a kid. This just was part of what happened. Yeah. I love the picture of just like, first of all, TV guides. I wish we had them again. TV guides were the best. I know. (laughs) 
You would throw them across to the next person that wanted to read them. That was always what they I remember. They were like thinking. that that little like pocket size, like that little size that felt so I can, and I have this very visceral memory of our TV guides. We, you'd often then use them as a coaster. Okay. You'd like I put like stuff that. on top of it and the top would get a little wrinkly because it would like take the condensation. This yeah. is how the level the TV guides were like part of the furniture in your, <laughs> in your house. And they would have special edition ones. Be like, mm-hmm. this week it's Dawson's Creek's on the cover, but you got to get Joey and Pacey and Dawson and Jen. Like, you got to get them all. Very smart. Very smart yeah. of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so as you were um, reading and notating your TV guide, is that when you were like, this is it? This is what I want to do as a career? Or did you even understand that that was not what other kids were doing? I don't think it, like, I don't think I could put all of it together yet that, like, this could be a career. I maybe, and I don't even remember thinking this much. It's possible that I had a passing thought of like making television, but I don't even think that's true. But I got very into, I do remember reading credits at some point pretty early, you know, yeah, 10, 12 years old, starting to be into like things like watching reruns of All in the Family and seeing like, okay, this is a Norman Lear show. I understand who that is. And starting to understand like certain people wrote episodes and seeing the recurring names and starting to get to know them. Um, but I don't even remember feeling that much like that was definitely what I was going to do. I just, I had two things. It was like, I was into this, all of this stuff. I was into my music and my TV. Um, and then I was into, I knew I wanted to be a writer. Like those were two things. And I think I understood they could interact in some way. I wasn't sure. I don't even know if I had a vision or I wasn't sure if it was going to be journalism or more like, I like, I used to write plays that I would make my yeah. friends act out in the in the garage. So obviously, like I had it on my mind at least a little that I might do something in theater, or you know, clearly that translates to TV. Um, you know, so I was kind of doing all these different things. Like I just, I guess, I was really into what I would say essentially popular arts. You know what I mean? Like that's that seems like I loved to perform, and this is still true of me to some extent. I loved to perform, and I loved to write. And so like, I kind of had all these different visions. Like, I mean, there are definitely times when I thought I was going to be a pop star and I thought I was going to, you know, like there's all yeah. of these, you know, but mainly it was, it, it's interesting that they, there was this way that they could all come together, but I'm not sure if I got that yet. You're still moving towards and working towards something. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I like that. I really like that a lot. <laughs> like um, a baker's dozen amount of books. And you're like, it's not, that's not what we're doing. We're doing something else. We got to get there still. I love <laughs> it could that. be anything. It could yeah. be, a, yeah. It, I mean, I think, you know, this, but this is ab- obviously where I settled and, you know, um, being that nerdy, that young is a huge, um, I don't, I wouldn't even say advantage, but prerequisite for what I do like you, it's like, it it requires a very high level of nerdiness that the average consumer does not have. (laughs) (laughs) What uh, that's what I'm here for. Yeah. I love it. (laughs) What did your friends think as you were like leading these discussions and and so focused on this? I think this is another thing. And I, I bet this is true of a lot of people who do what I do for a living in general, you know, like people who say worked at entertainment weekly with me or write these kinds of books. Um, there's a, there's actually a social capital that can go along with this. If, I mean, obviously in the right, um, social circles, it's not like, oh, she's super cool. Um, you know, because she knows the stuff necessarily, but like, you know what I'm saying? How it, it actually can, 
you know, especially if you can keep the nerdiness a little under control sometimes, um, just knowing certain things um, allows you to connect with other people, right? So, and this is just true. This is what pop culture is for to some extent, right? It's like, and but when you're, in, when you're a kid, when you're in school, the fact that you can be like, oh, you know, I love George Michael too and be able to talk about him or whatever, you know, you see that another kid's into something. And then you can kind of connect with them about that. Oh, did you see Raiders of the Lost Ark? What you know, whatever, whatever it is. And I think that that definitely is something that I and other people like me um, got. I was also like definitely when I was younger and I was in my like performance mode. I was a little much. Like I was a little bossy and diva-ish. Like I like I said, I would like write these plays, cast myself as the lead, and then make all my friends do them. Or we would play like. Grease, you know, the movie or some like that's something we would just like say we're playing, you know, and I'd be like, I'm Sandy. Like, and I remember one girl once was like, why are you always Sandy? And I was like, because it's my house. And that was the end of the discussion. So that's fair, though. (laughs) (laughs) I was Maria. If we were doing sound and music, I was, you know, like this was just this was just the way it was. And so but they, you know, I and my my friends seemed to all get go along with it at the time. So what can I do? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I, um, when I was a kid, I was obsessed with Lois and Clark, the new adventures of Superman. And when you're talking about like, you have that, you have to have like that kind of nerdy flavor and focus, but you do have to keep it under wraps. I didn't know that part of it. I knew that you could be really obsessed and know every single thing about it and want to talk about 24 seven. I did not understand that you should you know, not everything needs to be relayed back to that. That piece of advice would have been very helpful for me going into junior high. Yeah. You got to just dole it out slow. You got to like feel the room first, right? You just try one, try one fact and then see how it lands. And if people are like super into it and they're, they have facts, then you can keep going. But yeah, it's, it's good to, it's good to, temper that a little. I, I, I was very, like, I would go to the library and do research on my favorite things. Like it, it was, it was kind of intense. I like that though. I like that. What, what's the <laughs> first show that you remember truly loving? That's such a good question. And I'm sure someone must've asked me it before, but, um, and I think that my instinctual answer is probably skewed and I'll, you'll know why when I tell you this. Um, but my my belief, like I I want to believe it's it's the Mary Tyler Moore show, because I but I did write a book about it, so sure. I can't be absolutely sure if this is true, but yeah. we'll go with it anyway. Um, I was definitely watching in reruns because I was a little too young for it, you know the original run. Um, I would have been not born slash a very like a baby, but so I didn't know. I mean, you don't think at the time that you're like watching reruns but you're just a kid. You're just watching a show, but clearly that's what I was doing. And we also watched um, the spinoff of it, Rhoda in my house. We were very into that as well. So those were kind of like mixed up in my head. I don't know what what comes first or whatever, but I was very, very, um, I loved Mary and Rhoda. Like I really, and I mean, I was a baby. I was a little tiny girl. I have a photo of myself I was shocked by how young I am in it. Cause like, you know, you have the memory and then when you see the photo, you're like, Oh no, I was like a toddler. Oh. Um, I, dr- I would dress as ro- like what I believed I was dressing as Rhoda. Mm-hmm. Um, 
which was that I wore like a headscarf because she wore headscarfs. It was 70s. And I would wear my mom's nightgown, which is kind of flowy because she had kind of like a hippie vibe Yeah, um, that I thought was super cool. And so that is how I would dress as Rhoda when I was truly like three. Um, And if I wanted to be Mary, if I wanted to like play Mary, I would get my dad's briefcase and take out all the office supplies and put them on a desk. And that is how I played Mary. And I always tell this story because I actually think it's so significant for the show. Like the fact that I was three and I was so attracted, like, cause it's, it's a pretty adult show. Yeah. Um, it's not, not that it's inappropriate, but like, I just don't see what a kid would get out of it. It's a lot about relationships and going to work and stuff. <laughs> um, and you know, but clearly something was going on with me. And I think it has to be that I was this little girl seeing two women who seemed so cool and fun and like not moms on TV doing glamorous things. And so I notice what I glommed onto is like the fashion and going to work, right? Having a job. And that was what I wanted to imitate. And I think that that's just fascinating because I don't know what else I saw in this show. I can remember watching it, but I, and loving it, but I really, it's fascinating to me that you could be three or four or five and be watching a show like this and somehow get something out of it. Yeah. That, that's what I was going to ask you is if you remember watching, if you knew that you were watching something that was like for its time revolutionary and even right. still, as we uh, backslide back in time now, uh, it still <laughs> exactly. feels a little revolutionary in its, its own way. You know what I mean? And I just, yeah. um, you know, you're so young, but there is something you can see there and connect with. It's clearly, I mean, that's the only thing I can come up with is just that like, I could still understand that they were like cool and glamorous mm-hmm. and that, you know, they're, they're pretty, you know, I, like they kind of, I, I think this is something that even affects us too, is that like, I think they kind of like in the very vague sense, like quote, looked like me, like they had brown hair and like, even that was like, honestly, it sounds so crazy now, but just to like, I remember I also really loved Cher. I loved Sonny and Cher and, and their show and like really, really loved Cher. And I remember thinking Cher looked like me and that that felt unusual for Like, that seems crazy now. I'm still like a white girl with brown hair. It's not a big deal. But um, even to see just like a woman who was like not a busty blonde felt yeah. Like, oh, I could be like her. She seems so cool and glamorous and I could grow up to be like her. I think that's something that was meaningful as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, th- those were Obviously, the shows- I didn't know. Like, I didn't know. <laughs> I-, I wasn't like, this is quite revolutionary. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a little toddler turning to your phone to say, you're, you're not going to believe this, but on this episode. Um, but yeah, I-, I watched those shows on Nick at Night on reruns also. Mm-hmm. And it was the same thing. I loved Mary Tyler Moore show. Um, I love designing women, golden Mm. girls, all of that. And it was, Mm -hmm. it's that same draw, I think too. Exactly. Exactly. Like just, you know, it's still, there's, I just think that's really interesting to, to realize that like young girls couldn't even pick up on that. This is different. Even if they're not saying, oh, I identify they're just like drawn to it. And it's such a, I mean, incredibly strong argument for representation, right? Because mm-hmm. if if it turns out that even, you know, a three or four year old sees something that they're excited about, be, like can and can say like, oh, that person is quote like me, even though she's a 30 year old woman who I've never met um, or 
in the case of Golden Girls, you know, even older, like yeah. that is, I mean, I loved Golden Girls too. Didn't everybody? But that's a really yeah. interesting too, is that like, I loved Golden Girls and I was obviously, you know, fairly young when I was watching it and still, it's not like I was going like, oh, I really relate to these women's, you know, struggles with, <laughs> with having, you know, lost their husbands and moved into a retirement community. But clearly yeah. there was something that was such a huge draw for a lot of people. And I have to believe that at least part of it is the fact that it was for women. And we didn't have a lot of that on television. And I mean, I even think, you know, we don't have to, the people don't have to be exactly like us for us to connect to them. And we saw so few women like that, but that show is really actually quite revolutionary as well. Absolutely. And it's has stayed in such a large piece of culture. Um, and I think for that same reason that people are drawn to it and see these like four very, very strong women living lives that even if it doesn't so closely mirror ours, there's that draw still. And I, I think that helps the longevity. For sure. I mean, this is, I won't get into it, but this is a whole soapbox issue for me now. Oh, get into it. Let I'm me hear it. That, you know, we've had, we never see women in this age group on television. Um, women disappear at, I mean, 39 at the latest, mm -hmm. um, and then reappear as grandmothers. And that's it. And we see so few shows that center women in their 40s and 50s and maybe even 60s. And that's part of, I think, Golden, you know, that's like, we still haven't had another Golden Girls besides, unfortunately, and just like that, which leaves something to be desired. Let's go with. So, you know, um, it, it's, that's been something that's now that I'm reaching that stage myself. I am suddenly have been so aware of it all of a sudden that like, oh, we just disappear. And what's crazy is that it's an extremely dramatic, you know, time in your life. I guess every yeah. time in your life is dramatic, but like, you know, <laughs> it's not like nothing happens. There's a ton of stuff that's happening. You know, you're like some people I know their kids are going off to college. Others are just having kids. So, yeah. you know, there's like, all, like you're dealing with aging parents, you're dealing with, you know, like, what have I been doing with my life? All of these things, mar you know, marriage problems, relationship problems, and you just don't see this stuff there. And Golden Girls has kind of been it. And so we have to keep going back. I mean, it's also great. Don't get me wrong. But it, yeah. also, if you watch it as you get older, if you watch closely, you will be shocked to learn that they're truly something like they say their age in the first season and they're some, they're like 55 or so. They're like, not oh that my old. God, I'm not ready for what that's going to do to me emotionally. I'm about to turn 40 this year. I'm not, that's going to really screw me up. <laughs> no, I, truly. I just, I rewatched some of it not that long ago and it had been quite a while. And so you, it's just that stuff when you're younger, you just don't pick up on it. You don't pick up on that stuff until you're approaching that time. And then, yeah, a couple times, I mean, first of all, they're not retired. So they're clearly before they're younger than 65. And a couple times they like say something like that's people are like 55, 50, 59. So they're like under 60. Wow. And that was like when you think of the way we thought of Golden Girls or continue to think of it to some extent, it's as like this show about old ladies. Yeah. And that was where I was like, oh, gee, you know, and they're all making jokes all the time about like, you know, can we even still have sex? And like, all, and you're just like, oh, God. <laughs> like, oh, 
oh, that, that's that's going to hurt my feelings for a little while. Yep, yep. It's a little rough. <laughs> uh, but it does change. It, it really reframes when you think about it like that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and this came up when, when, and just like that, the Sex and the City spinoff or whatever we want to call it, um, reboot came back. This was kind of like a meme that was going around that like, do you realize that the women on the show are like older than the Golden Girls were in their first season? And it's, that's a real wake up call. I get it. It's just that being 55 is different now than it was then. And there's also the short hair theory. So the just that like women used to, you know, cut their hair off at a certain age and that's what oh. made them feel, made them look older. Whereas like the women on Sex and the City all still have long hair. I never thought about that. I, you're, <laughs> it's absolutely right. I, and like now I'm thinking about just like women that are in my life that are older have short mm-hmm. hair, but I never just put those two together like that. Yeah, it used to be like you, that was, it was just like a law or something that at, at like 50, everybody would get short curly hair. Whereas now, you know, like Jennifer Aniston and Jennifer Lopez are in their 50s and they do not have short hair. Sure don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, talk to me a little bit about work, writing for like Entertainment Weekly. Were there shows when you were writing that you were like, I want more people to pay, be paying attention to this show and I don't know how to like ring this bell any louder than this? God, there were just, there were many of those, um, actually. And we would do some, you know, we would be able to do some stuff for them. We could only go so far because it's like we also cared about whether other people wanted to read about the yeah. show or not. So there was, you know, there were also shows that I was constantly writing about because it was like, that's just the way, like Grey's Anatomy was, you know, this big thing at the time. So I was, there was, it was like a joke at one point. I was, it was basically almost living in Los Angeles, even though I live in New York. Um, because they were constantly sending me to the set of Grey's Anatomy. I, um, uh, I worked on the show for a season. I know that lot very well. Prospect Studios, baby. <laughs> oh, I, I was, it, for a while, there was one time when like, this was still Patrick Dempsey years. And, you know, there was like one time when I went to the set and was asking, he was like supposed to interview him. And he was like, how do you have more questions for me? I was like, cause I have to come up with them because people keep wanting to read about you. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But I spent like several Thanksgivings in a row in, in LA specifically because of Grey's Anatomy. It was very funny. Um, on the other hand, uh, two, two shows came to mind when you asked me that. And I love that question. Um, one, and not that this was like super suffering, but I was really, really into Degrassi, The Next Generation. And I got to do a big feature on it. And it was truly one of the nicest experiences of my entire career. It was just so lovely. Cause it's like, when you go to a show that they want, like they they're excited to be covered as opposed to like, I would go to Gray's during that time. And at times they like, wouldn't let me watch certain scenes because they were trying to be so secretive. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it was like all the attention was on it. Whereas Degrassi was like, I mean, one of the Canadian, it's a Canadian show. And one of the Canadian um, entertainment shows came out and covered the fact that I was covering Degrassi. Oh, that wow. That just like a, an idea of the level. And I was on the set for a week and Degrassi is this show that's like a high school show and it's shot in Toronto and they shoot it in a real school or like a, like a former school is what I should say. It's, it's not like sets that look like a school. It's a school building. Cool. <laughs> so it's this very trippy you know, they do the opening credits on in the front of the school and that's, it looks just like it. It just says Degrassi. Like, wow. And they, they eat lunch in the cafeteria 
and it's so and you're walking down the the you know halls and there's lockers and the showrunners are in the principal's office so it's just this very strange actual school like experience and it was such a lovely show um i can't remember if they're still doing it or not they've kind of come and gone many many times yeah and they just it was this i was i covered a lot of teen shows and i will always love teen shows and this show what i loved about it is it wasn't like perfect in terms of execution um it wasn't super slick first of all they cast all kids who are real age so this isn't a situation like 90210 or the OC or a million other shows where it's like 25 year olds and 30 year olds playing teenagers. So they look like teenagers. Um, it's a big cast. They would rotate who they focused on and they really covered issues. Like they really did. It was fun a lot of the time, but it was also really difficult issues that they would tackle. They did a school shooting up the arc really um, they, that went on for quite some time. It wasn't just like school shooting and done. It was like, they showed that there were, was aftermath. Um, they did an abortion episode that was actually banned in the United States. Um, just to give you a sense of like, they did date rape. They did, you know, really the, the, the sort of advertising tagline when they advertised it in the United States was Degrassi, it goes there. Um, Mm. And I just really love, it was such a lovable show slash. I also thought it was, it was, I am a big fan of like doing important things with your television. And I thought they did a really, it was, it was started by T like it was created by teachers and, you know, but did not have the same sort of very American um, instinct to not talk about certain things that I think we had. And our teen shows with a while, I love them would be these very sort of, beautiful, glamorous, slick operations, right? That was their whole deal. And this was very much not that. And I thought it was cool. So it was very fun to be on the side of that. And also as a bonus, I did interview a teenage uh, Drake. That's very cool. (laughs) Who was Aubrey Graham at the time. And he was playing Jimmy on Degrassi. So, and I actually did, like, he did make an impression when I was there, even like, he was very charming, even like at 18, I was like, oh, this kid is, <laughs> is doing it. Um, so that was a really fun one. And that was one that I was always advocating. You know, I wrote a big feature, but anytime, you know, I can write about it some more and they let me write yeah. quite a bit, but, and there was one other show, which is also in the teen, almost teen realm, um, which was called Greek. I don't know if you're familiar with the show. Oh yeah. I do remember Greek um, on ABC family. What? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, ABC family. Uh, just a beautiful beautiful show um it was kind of in between what I was talking about like it was like it is kind of you know it was about people in the Greek system at a school and it was beautiful people and you know all of that stuff but um they did they it was so heartfelt and didn't it wasn't about like the Greek system is terrible it was just like this sort of sweet show about relationships and I also always felt like I was like why don't we do more college shows college is is such a vibrant time you can have have kids having sex more where it's not like this huge deal you know you can have more stuff going on that makes sense and they're a little bit older and they it just was this like it, it it was sort of in the vein of like a John Hughes film except nicer you know, I'm, I has it, you know, it's, it's yeah. like the best parts of that feeling of that very sort of warm, or maybe like Cameron Crowe is a better, you know, kind of that say anything yeah. feeling to it. And I ended up 
becoming really good friends with the um the creator of that show and still friends with him and I would go and like stay with him in LA all the time so um so I got that out of it and I was always they were like getting annoyed with me at a after a while like I did get to write a feature about it and then it was like I was constantly trying to write about it because I just felt like it was underrated and more people should have watched but it's great if people can find it they should check it out yeah, I yeah, I um I watched it. I watched a couple seasons of it and liked it. It was I loved it. Yeah. yeah. And many of the people like went on to like if you watch it you're going to see uh, several of the cast members went on to do a lot of other things. They're really great. Yeah. Uh you know, I um <laughs> we're wrapping it up now, but I have a podcast with one of my best friends that is about Dawson's Creek. It's a Dawson's Creek rewatch Wonderful. podcast. We started it during the pandemic because we're just she lives in Jersey. I live here in Los Angeles. We're too obsessed with each other to not find a way <laughs> to talk all the time. Um, mm-hmm. And she had never seen the show because she's a couple years younger than me. And Ooh. I was like a little bit too young to be watching it. I wasn't allowed to watch it when it first started and like found ways to be sneaky. Um, but it's wild to watch it as an adult. And you, you've you got these like two seasons that are really, really good. And the color palette is warm and they are young and it feels like you're watching teenagers and then all of a sudden and even like the Greg Berlanti the first season with just Greg Berlanti it also has that same like it's a little bit sharper but you know there's real like love and friendship and storylines here and then you've got these like last really just the last two seasons where you're not really sure what show you're watching anymore and you've got Michelle Williams she never gets a storyline anymore, even though she is literally Michelle Williams. And it's wild to watch it. That is a crazy show. That that show was so crazy. And you mentioned not being able to watch it and like, or not being allowed to watch it. And um, like people, it's another one of those things where it's like, you don't realize that, but at the time it was such a big deal. Like this was so controversial, this show, because- you know, the kids, you know, Pacey's having sex with the teacher. I remember that was a big thing. Like when that's I, why first I wasn't allowed it, to watch it specifically yeah, because of that storyline. Yeah. That's, I remember basically when I first heard about it was like someone saying like, you got to watch this crazy show, this like kids having a, an affair with his teacher and, and et cetera. Like what that was the headline was yeah. that, but there was also the big masturbation. Um, yeah. I don't want to say plot line. There's like a masturbation plot line. That'd be weird. Um, but there is like, <laughs> a big scene slash line that was super controversial at the time. And they had to change, they had originally said wanted to say masturbation and they had to change it from that to, um, is it walking the dog? I believe mm-hmm. that that's correct. Um, yeah. Where Katie Holmes's character asks Dawson, like how often do you walk the dog? And like, when do you walk the dog? And his, he ends up like, he doesn't tell her first. And then she like, is good. She goes out his window and is going to go home. And she says like, he says to Katie Couric in the morning. I, poor Katie um, Couric, too. She's got enough to deal with at work. She, now she's got this <laughs> kid, Dawson. She's, as soon as I heard the line, I was like, this poor woman does not want this show added to her plate of shit right now. Can you imagine? Like, you, like she comes in the next morning and you know this happened. And some publicist <laughs> or whatever was like, um, just so you know. Uh, yeah, but it was, yeah. it was this explosive phenomenon when it was first on what, like a lot of the teen shows that came, you know, I feel like this is a very common thing in like the nineties and two thousands is that they would kind of almost try to make a splash, right? They'd be these beautiful, you know, 25 and 30 year olds playing teenagers 
And this teen show would come along and try to really just like do it up, make a splash and be like edgier than the last one Mm -hmm. and whatever it was. Right. So we had kind of an arms race from Dawson's Creek through like Gossip Girl to be this like forbidden. I mean, it was the best thing you could get in the world was to have parents saying you're not allowed to watch this. That was (laughs) like the goal. And because people would always sneak to watch it and it would be great. So yeah. You know, but I I have always loved all of these shows and I will, I think I'll continue to love teen shows. Yeah. No matter what, there's something really um, special about that time, obviously. And it, I think the characters can be like unforgivably messy because they are supposed to be teenagers and it allows you to kind of like let this stuff. I mean, we all are, I think none of us grow past being teenagers also. Oh, no, absolutely not. <laughs> but it allows us to sort of watch it without judging them as much. They can do all this stuff and we can just be like, ah, you know. Yeah. They're kids. Whereas I feel like Grey's Anatomy is also a teen show. Um, but it's just about like people in their 30s and 40s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And now it's like I get older, I'll watch them and be like, the consequences that you're about to face, but never will in this TV show, but in the real world. And I'll be yeah. very judgy about it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that that's why they're so appealing. And we've all been teenagers. So it's just fun to watch. But yeah. yeah, I've just, that's something I've always, always loved. Yeah. When you, um, did you watch Mean Girls when it first came out? Definitely. Um, by that time I was working at Entertainment Weekly magazine and I mean, it was pretty early. I was probably still an assistant, but, um, but I, I was there. And when you're there, like you don't really miss much, um, because like, everyone's talking about like this is all we do is we have meetings to talk about this stuff you know so by this time like I'm hearing there's this movie we didn't know if it was going to do well necessarily but I know it's the kind of thing we would get there's certain things that's so funny but at that time at least there were certain things that you could I could almost predict like the things we were going to get excited about we were really into like Buffy the Vampire Slayer we were really into Mean Girls and we were really really into Tina Fey and I um, I can remember hearing about this movie and I did not go to screening, but I did go like a, an advanced screening, which I could have gone to. But I, in this case, I very much remember that I went to um, like a multiplex in New Jersey, which is where I lived at the time nice. and saw it. And probably like pretty early, something like opening weekend. I mean, I wasn't like in line for the first showing, but I was, you know, there quickly. I was in my 20s. So I was really, I love teen stuff. So that is part of it is just like, I'm going to see this, of course. But I was really into Tina Fey and very intrigued by the concept of Tina Fey writing a teen movie, teen girl movie. Um, that All of that stuff together was really interesting to me. And so that is why I was excited to go. And what I remember most about it from that time is like two big things. One is just how funny it was. Like really, really, really funny. Yeah, And... Um, Regina getting hit by a bus. <laughs> yeah. Which kind of go together. It's like, it was the Tina Fey of it all is really what, I mean, even though I knew, knew she had done it, I knew what she was about. It still was like, oh, like this feels like such a kind of like bomb thrown into the teen girl genre to me. Is yeah. You know, it still looks exactly the same and plays exactly the same, which is what's so brilliant. But it's instead it has like seven jokes per minute and also, you know, toward the end, the 
you know, main villain actually gets hit by. Like in another movie that would have been, you know, a fantasy sequence. Yeah. But in this movie, like, I think everyone screamed in my theater, which is just like a normal reaction when that happens. I still kind of like every time I watch it and I use it in presentations and it's like, I still get like, ah, yeah. Um, And that was where to me, I was like, oh, this is where she was like, this is not clueless. That is how she told us like, this is a different, this is a step up. And I, I think this is why it feels so millennial. It feels like, oh, this is our movie. You know, it's like, this is a just different enough. Like I love clueless. I think it is an equal to, to mean girls, but I think it's way softer and cuddlier. Like Cher is very, very, very sweet. Yeah. She might be, as we say, clueless from the title, but she is extremely sweet at the beginning and she's extremely sweet at the end. She just (laughs) learns more. Um, you know, that's like, but this movie really lets its girls be terrible and funny and get hit by buses. The hit by the bus, like it, it shocked me the first time I saw it. It shocks me every single time. I just went to go see the musical movie and mm-hmm. it, I don't know what I was thinking, but it shocked the hell out of me. <laughs> and then too, and I jumped, I was like, but I knew it was coming. It's so weird to say. <laughs> There's like, so I think they shot it just different enough that I was like, I didn't, it just threw me again. <laughs> yep. And she's even wearing the same outfit. Yes. But- He's like wearing an homage in that particular scene, which also tells me like how iconic that scene is yeah. that they put her, you know, in, in the, I think it really is it's not even really an homage. It's like the same outfit. Yeah. I loved it. I I really liked it at the musical version of the movie as well. I've never seen the Broadway version, but. It, it's hard if you've, it's, it was a, it's like you have, I keep telling people, I'm like, you just have to go in with, I don't even mean this to sound as bad as it is, as it sounds, but like low expectations by which I just mean the problem with it is mostly that it's like two beloved properties, essentially, right. The musical and the original. Yeah. And I feel like both get cut in, you know, it's like they had to cut some jokes in order to do some songs and they had to cut some, cut some songs in order to make it a watchable length. And what it's very hard to go and not go like, Oh, I wish they had done whatever, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of the one-liners that are gone from the original. Um, not just cause they're like, you know, no longer acceptable. They just clearly like cut certain things. And then like some of the songs and I like, I am a fan of the musical. And so it was very hard for me not to just go like, Oh, but they didn't do that. You know, which is, I know that's kind of almost annoying and I'm sure it's annoying to the creators. In fact, I know it is. Um, (laughs) But it's just hard when, you know, it's just, it's hard to, it's hard to do a reboot for sure, but I think it's really fun. And I also thought it was really fun to see um, the things they changed, like the lines they changed the things that they did to make it kind of just like current, you know, the TikTok stuff I actually thought was quite clever. Yeah. Yeah. I am. I'm always curious to see how something will be updated, how you can bring up, you just, you can't have, I understand like the shot is gorgeous in the original of Regina, like throwing the pages and it's beautiful, but you, you're, that's not realistic. And like a three-way call is not realistic watching them modernize these things and pulling out the, like a lot of the really problematic stuff in the original, but it still has that bite. You still have like, it still feels the same, but it's, you know, updated to. Right. And it's, of course, it's also like, in some ways I'm like, it's not for me, you know, um, it's for, 
a new generation. It's not your mother's mean girls. It's yeah. for a new generation. Um, I was very, I even, I messaged Stephanie Drummond, our mutual friend, when I saw it, because I was like, you are so iconic that they kept your vagina line and cast a girl who looked just like you. Yeah. No, that did not happen for any other of those kinds of parts. I'm sorry. Yeah. It just did not. I recorded it and sent it to her because I was like, look at like, I loved it so much. It was a different delivery. Yeah. yeah. It was a more confident. It was a, like there was a different idea behind the delivery. Mm-hmm. But and I think if she had imitated Steph, it would have been too much because Steph is like, you can't like it's she's so distinctive that we would know you were doing that. Yeah. But I was so excited because I was like. I mean, you you cannot you can't lose that line. But I love that they even cast a girl who looked like her. I loved it too. We all um, I saw it with friends who also know Steph, and I turned. I was like, "It's Uncle Steph. Just look at her. It's the same person." <laughs> also, it's like little baby Steph. I know. It's also so classic Steph, and I don't know if it's just because of who she is or she is just this Canadian. But so two things. One, I was like, Steph, they kept her line. They cast somebody that looked just like you and she was like i know and she was like jennifer sent it to me isn't that so nice of her like immediately was like let me push this off on somebody else to be nice about them <laughs> too and i was like yes and then also in the so mean girls is how my obsession with mean girls is how i sought out steph's friendship which sounds about probably as creepy as it is which is that i worked on fuller house and mm-hmm. she was at the rap party season one so this was before she even was on the show. Um, she oh, that's just, funny. Yeah, it's like a small world situation. Yeah. So um, she was the guest of somebody that worked on the show. So they sent an email to say like, hey, I'm going to bring, um, here's my guest name. She's new here in LA, doesn't really know anybody. Um, just kind of like tr- trying to like, you know, friend matchmake. Yeah. And was like, and you might, she was in Mean Girls. She had a really iconic line in Mean Girls. And I turned to my friend in the office. I was like, we're finding her. And we're going to make her be our friend. And then it ended up being that it's Steph and she's the greatest. And you just like are drawn to her like a magnet. She's so great. But in so in all the times that I have like probably annoyingly brought up Mean Girls to her, um, she has never once said, yeah, they wrote the role for me, (laughs) which is I learned that in your book. I had no idea. I love that. But I'm also not surprised. Oh, yeah. But that's (laughs) I can't I guess she did tell me. Um, you know, I was trying to remember if it was actually somebody else. I know for a fact that Mark Waters, the director also told me that. Um, but I do think like just through like at, at some point, if you ask enough questions, right, like somebody has to be like, well, cause she was like, oh, well I was, you know, auditioning for Emma Gerber and my friend got it. Jan got it. Um, but then like they just and and I guess she had to tell me the story about how they called her to say, like, will you say the vagina line? Because it wasn't the initial in her initial audition sides. So that was why, like, you know, so she had to explain, like, essentially why <laughs> she didn't know these lines. So yeah. what they yeah, what they had done is they just saw her in that audition and said, she's so good. Like, let's just honestly they really just put together three or so of the greatest lines and that's she is truly a meme for all like she is famous for all of them um because they're all so good and so she has the vagina line she has army pants and flip-flops and she has um regina george punch me in the face once it was awesome and 
they just were like, these are all the best lines. So we're going to give them to this young woman. And Mark Waters remembered her to this day. could not say enough good things about her. Um, Totally. And that's like, I think this is why it's really the only, like I said, of those, whatever you want to call it, those high school kid characters that made it into the new movie in kind of a copy form. There no, there were a couple of other lines that were said, um, but none of them like looked exactly like the person previously or anything like that. And I was so excited because it truly, I mean, I've been saying it since before I talked to her when I first started doing this book, people love to ask me what my favorite line is. Mm-hmm. And I've always said that is my favorite line. So yeah. You know, it it makes sense, right? Because I'm a Degrassi person. I'm all about like, you know, talking openly about women's issues, especially. Yeah. And the fact that they had to fight to keep that line in to keep their PG-13 rating <laughs> I mean. is also perfect. Yeah. And it just, and her delivery and the way she says it so, um, like, guilelessly, like, her character does not think she's bringing, she's like, could not wait to bring it up. <laughs> Yeah. And she does not, she's not the least bit embarrassed. And she does not think this is a controversial thing to say. She's just like, when he's like, does anyone have anything to say? She's like, yes, I need to clarify something. (laughs) I'm so glad you brought this up. I could not wait to tell you. It's actually because of this. (laughs) Yeah. And I just like, I love that whole thing. It's so perfect and very, it is very Tina Fey too. That line is it, I I've come to really appreciate Tina's um, musical ear for comedy. If you listen to how some of those lines sound, part of the reason they're famous, I think, is because they like come out of your mouth in this way that just sounds, you know, it feels good and it sounds good the way she writes these lines, and that is yeah. absolutely one of them. Yeah, I um I I mean, in my eyes, Amy Poehler has never done anything wrong in her entire life. <sighs> Um, I also I'm fairly was, certain that's true. Thank you. I'm so glad to hear you say that. I'll I also confirm was, it, but like, you know, I'm pretty sure. I mean, she's just, you, you mentioned it briefly, the smart girls at the party. Do you remember that she used to do the ask Amy videos where yes. people could write in it, it just, she's just great. <laughs> like, she's yeah. really, she is really perfect. And I hope I never, ever find out anything else. Um, as you know, from the book, there are several stories in there in which she is an angel. Um, it just, there were so many, and you, you know, it's like, I don't need every story where someone's an angel necessarily, but like they were all different and so sweet that I ended up pretty much using them. Um, one of my favorites is the, the guy who played her husband, that he like, he was so cute. He just told me this whole story about like, they really had one day together in which he has to react to their daughter Regina's costume, very sexy Halloween costume. And he has no actual line. He has only a reaction shot. And so they were very nice and had Amy there. And he said, like, because she was there, I could do it. Because he had to do so many reaction shots. And it was like, but she could keep saying stuff to give him, like, different things to react to. Yeah. Because she's a speaking part. Um, So he said it was, like, one of the greatest improv exercises of his life. He's, like, with Tina Fey. And he has to just keep silently reacting to whatever she says that's awesome and but also like that they went to dinner that night and he's like he's like so young lady you know what what's your deal like what do you do um 
like as if she worked in a bank or so, you know, it's like, so what do you like, where, where are you based? What are you up to? And she's like, well, I'm in New York. And he's like, are you, you know, doing anything right now? And she's like, well, I'm on Saturday Night Live. He's like, yeah. he's like, oh, I haven't, I haven't really, yeah, very Canadian. Oh, I haven't really been watching lately. And she said something gracious, like, oh, many, that's true of many people or something like that. Yeah. And then they go back to the set and she's like, I want to introduce you to my best friend in the whole world. This is Tina Fey. And he's like, oh, what are you doing? <laughs> She's like, well, I wrote this movie. I, do am on Saturday Night Live, and I am the first female head writer. I do. Um, I just, I am Tina Fey, so that's what I do. That's my job, <laughs> I is I'm Tina Fey. And I just, like, that whole, I love how I can totally see Amy being that way, too. Just, like, totally rolling with it. Not... <laughs> phased by the fact that this man this Canadian man does not know who she is and just so many people had such nice interactions with her and no one ever said like anything even remotely bad about her so I think I think we're safe she um I'm so happy so my um with my friends my claim to fame is that I met Polar once and cried at her it's never happened to me before I've worked with a lot of actors some sure. I'm very, very big fans of never cried except for this one time as I was like trying to like verbalize in this like quick interaction, like you and Tina Fey are my heroes and just like couldn't like all of a sudden my body was like, it would be better if you cried. She'll believe it more if you cried. And all of a sudden I just started crying and she was so gracious about it. Uh, I don't think she loved it, but she was gracious <laughs> about it. I think she was like, let's hustle up this interaction because I got a you're an adult, you know, let's get out of here. You're an adult. Don't yeah. cry in front of me. But it was very sweet. And she was um, very kind. <laughs> you know, something just that you would appreciate, I think, um, given your profession, but like I, something I really wanted to get across in the book was kind of, there's, there's a lot of interactions like this. Right. And the, I was kind of trying to get across like the way, the sort of way that it's both very glamorous and there are constant indignities when you are especially I'd say a mid-level star or a star on the rise yeah and so I kind of wanted to get that across that especially the, the place they were in their careers that it's sort of this constant barrage of like you never know if someone is going to cry at you <laughs> yeah because they can't believe their good fortune that they're meeting you or they're going to be like so what's your deal for <laughs> you yeah what's going on here are you like crew are you running the camera can I get some food from you? And they're like, no, I'm the star of this movie and I wrote it. Um, and I just think like people don't realize what a kind of bizarre thing that can be for these people is that like, they never know how people are going to interact with them or if they know who they are. It's like, and you can't be like, well, don't you know who I am? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's just a very strange world to be in. And then being in Canada, I think maybe compounded it. Cause like, you know, they maybe they're not in Hollywood. They don't care as much. They're not. They're very, very nice, but they're not really sycophantic like Hollywood. Yeah. And so I think that too was this like different kind of experience. Um, I love that it was a Canadian movie, though. Yeah, I think it uh, worked very well just to have like the crew and cast have those interactions with these like sweet Canadians. Also exactly it, it you can feel it once you know that you're like I understand so many more things about this movie yeah what um the the book feels like it was like locked and done before the Barbie movie became 
the Barbie movie now. And so if, if you had included, like if you had the time to have included a little bit of the Barbie movie reaction, what would you have had to say about it? That's a really good point. It totally was like this book was due a year ago. Um, you know, so it was, it was, I wrote the first draft in February and certainly I think we were done with edits by June. Oh, wow. Um, and to be honest, I didn't, I guess most people, this was true of, but I didn't fully understand what was about to happen with Barbie. Like I get, got that we were doing it, but I didn't really, it really snuck up on me. Um, yeah, it absolutely is related. I think, um, you know, I talk in the book about, uh, the kind of like, surprised reaction oh my god young women want to go to movies that are about themselves we're gonna do better um and the kind of ways and i wrote about this um in my Substack more recently too um because we've you know barbie etc um that we we do it over and over again you know um i can name and i'll probably miss some it's like we did it with mean girls and everybody wrote all these think pieces and said oh my god we have to serve this audience we're gonna do better and then not much. And then, you know, we get the Sex and the City first movie. Same same discussion. Holy crap. We had no idea people were going to go see this movie. We have to do better for young women. And then we're done. Then we do it with Bridesmaids. That, you know, it's like, and I mean, Barbie might be even bigger than any of those. Um, and I hope that that makes a difference this time. I'm still very skeptical. I'm so scared we're just going to get like a Rubik's Cube movie or whatever. Like they're going to take the wrong message. You know what I mean? Like, oh, people want more movies about toys from, you know, their childhoods. And it's like, no, that's not what happened. Um, Yes, (laughs) I am. The the weekend after I saw the movie, I saw a friend of mine uh, who is a man and was like talking about the effect that the Barbie movie is having on the industry and made some comment about like, now the next movie will be and named another toy. And I was like, that's not it at all. Right. But you know. I can totally see them being like, oh, what people really want is, I don't know, a live action strawberry shortcake from Lena Dunham or something. <laughs> like they're going to like try to make that formula. You know, it's like, they're going to try to like, that's the exact the wrong- correct formula for Hollywood to, to take that message. Right? But it's a totally woman do that. and it's a woman writer. <laughs> Right. It's a woman character. Like a quirky woman writer is yeah. it's going to be like Mindy Kaling brings you, you know, Cabbage Patch Kids, the movie. And it's going to be like, no, that wasn't why we liked that, guys. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I definitely see a, um, a through line here from yeah. Mean Girls to Barbie. And specifically, even like, I mean, there's two big things we've all, and this is what I had written about more recently. Like there was a big moment at the end, you know, in year end stuff to talk about like, uh, the year of the girl and how, you know, everything was pink and girly and cause they wanted to make trend pieces that tied together, like Taylor Swift and Beyonce and Barbie and all of these things. And I have quarrels about calling it the year of the girl, but that is a different issue. Um, those are all because, women. Yeah. Okay. That's what I was going to ask women. if it was. Yeah. 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 Those are, I mean, please let's be clear. Uh, Taylor Swift is 32 years old like, and she is doing incredible things. Please let's not, you know? Yeah. Um, anyway. And even Barbie, I'm like, I understand a little more that it's a toy. So, you know, but again, as we were saying, like, it's very quickly, that's not really what the movie is about. Yeah. And so 
even Barbie is a grown woman and it was written by a grown woman. And the final scene, which is iconic is about how she's literally a woman of reproductive age. Yeah. She goes to the gynecologist. Um, We've got a weird gynecology uh, vibe to our whole conversation today because of the tampon thing and this. Um, No, it's good. It's a good through line, I think. (laughs) Pink and gynecological things. Yeah. And teen things. But uh, yeah, like, you know, but I do really hope that um, this, this changes things in a different way. And it's really interesting because this is actually, it's kind of the same basic audience. If you look at, you know, I think, you know, the Mean Girls audience grew up, it's like millennial women. Like if Barbie turned out to be for everyone or a lot of people, mm-hmm. but I would say that if it is aimed at anyone, it's actually millennial women, yeah. like it's writer, director, Greta Gerwig. Um, most of the references and to me, the reason why, for instance, I had a much stronger reaction to it than my mother did. My mom's like, it's nice. And I was like, it's not just nice. <laughs> it is yeah. the greatest movie of all time. <laughs> yeah. like, so many, all of, you know, the song, the song references that they have are like 90s songs. Yeah. Um, there's a reference to the 90s Pride and Prejudice with Colin Firth. Um, yeah. There's so many other things too, but like, I really did notice that it was extremely focused on, I'd say maybe older millennials and younger Gen X, if anything. Yeah. And like, I laughed so hard at some things and like no one else in my theater laughed at them. Cause it was all like younger people. Um, you know, so it is the same audience that was supposed to be, you know, it's like mean girls. And then they kind of grew up through that sex in the city and, um, bridesmaids and into like Barbie and Taylor and Beyonce. Like this is all the same audience who keeps being um, underestimated. I think it's just women in general, but I would say like quote young women. And I know we're all getting older by the second, but <laughs> yeah. um, it's definitely this idea of the the younger female audience and that we just continue to not believe wants to go to movie theaters and I, and see something for them. Yeah. <laughs> it's bizarre. <laughs> It's, yeah, as you say that, it's like, yeah, they nobody wants to believe anything about young women. Mm-mm. It's shocking that they want to go to the movies. It's shocking that they want to have reproductive rights and choice. It's shocking that they want to have a voice and their own money and their, you know. Exactly. It's shocking that Taylor Swift can do, I mean, it is shocking that Taylor Swift did what she did this past year. Um, yeah. But like she put a lot of effort into it. Yeah. Yeah. She she was going to do that. Um, and it really, she did actually do something shocking, but I, I still, I'm like, it's so weird, but I'm, I wish I didn't have to be this way, but I'm so skeptical despite this, like, absolutely, you know, we all saw the articles about both Barbie and about like Beyonce and Taylor keeping the economy afloat. Yeah. And it's like, I still wonder in the end if, if that's enough, you know, it's like yeah. even the most, you know, overachieving achievements of millennial women, like, are they, are they going to be enough or not? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's wild. If the, is there something now that is happening right now in pop culture, maybe it is Taylor Swift, just cause you mentioned it, that you would want to 20 years from now be writing about and looking at. I mean, for sure that, and I mean, we're just talking about the Barbie thing and maybe even before 20 years from now, this might warrant, warrant it. I'm not sure, but I can definitely, like when it was happening, like a friend joked to me about it, but also I was like, 
no, that's totally like, this is the kind of thing where it can absolutely, you know, it's hard sometimes to tell in the moment, but that seemed pretty big. Yeah. Um, and the fact that it's so funny now I'm already like formulating the book for yeah. 15 to 20 years, 10 to 15 to 20 years from now, but like <laughs> the, what we're, everything we've just been talking about would be part of that, you know, um, just the same way that I was talking about like tabloid culture and internet culture in relation to mean, the mean girls phenomenon. I think that having, you know, the Taylor Swift thing, the Beyonce thing, et cetera, going on the same year as Barbie was really noticeable and showed us something about this time. I mean, hopefully we won't be sitting here talking about it in 20 years and going like, yep. And then that was that one blip that no one ever made anything for women again. Like, yeah. (laughs) I mean, I just, I hope that's the case, but I really do think like Barbie was you can you can't always tell the moment but barbie felt like one of those that even in the moment i was like no this is going to be big enough we're going to still be yeah i've already i've watched it three times nice. and i, I just watch rewatched it, again. it the other day actually yeah. yeah i was like in a bad mood a couple weeks ago and saw that it was on demand and i was like absolutely yes we will press play on that and yeah. i cried the same times i cried like it's it still affected me so I was surprised that I got emotional during the, the big American Ferrer monologue. I'm not like, I, I like to push my emotions very, very deep down below mm-hmm. a whole bottle of gin. So anytime something can peek through, it's pretty shocking. So, um, yeah, I couldn't believe that I cried the third. It was like, I know it's coming. Yeah. Like what is going and, and at the end, I always, the, uh, yeah. I can talk for an hour about that movie, but, um, I just, as, as I was saying, I just, I really judge people very strongly now on, not just like whether they tell me that they had a positive reaction to that movie, but how positive it's like, if it's not positive enough, I'm like, mm, okay, well, you're sort of a disappointment to me, but that's fine. Um, that's so much nicer than I do, which is, oh, so you hate women. Okay. No, that's fine. It's just good to know fine. you hate women. That's fine. It's cool. I, you can totally hate women. That's absolutely within your rights, but yeah, it's just very hard for me. And I was definitely part of the backlash or whatever you want to call it to the like Oscar backlash. Um, you know, I, it, it was, it's, it upsets me when this, this, and cause we're starting to do it. We are starting to do a little bit of this. Like, I mean, was it that good? You know, there's a lot of that attitude right now. It's like, okay, but I mean, move over. Cause like now it's time for Oppenheimer to just, now it's time for the men to just go ahead. And, and I just feel like that movie was nowhere near as creative or innovative, but that's fine. Yeah. I, See, I, it's hard because I haven't seen Oppenheimer because I've never seen a movie to save my life. But this year, I'm trying to watch all of the Oscar movies before they come out. I like so I, every year I try. It's <laughs> <laughs> my goal. <laughs> but it is wild to like see Greta Gerwig like once again not get. She's it's isn't it this this is the third movie nominated for best picture and third time she has not been nominated for best director. Yeah. Like, what do you think makes a best picture? Come it's on. Just, and, and, and in this particular case, I mean, the others are like, fine, I guess, even though, like you said, um, I agree with what you just said, but it's like, but this one is such, it's like the vision is the thing. Yeah. And she wrote like, it's like the, it is so visionary in this particular case. Like it is just harder to make this movie than to make like Oppenheimer, in my opinion, I'm not a director, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I, like yeah. if someone said to me, Hey, you've never directed a movie. Can you direct this movie about Oppenheimer? I could probably like put something together. Yeah. That looked vaguely like that. Whereas like, 
this thing is just completely her deal. And that's the part that upsets me is just that it's such, it's her vision and it's her that's the reason it was good. Yeah. Whereas the other movies are like very clear the way you would make a biopic or whatever. That's just my feeling. Yeah. But I have never directed anything. So let's be clear. <laughs> well, no, that's not true. What about the plays in your garage? That's true. That's oh. true. <laughs> so I could have easily done Oppenheimer in my garage. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> It would be exactly the same. Shot for shot remake. That's right. <laughs> um, how do you feel about the term girl crush? I feel okay about it. I do. I do. Um, I get it, I guess. I understand its place and where we, you know, like, I understand why we have that term. And maybe woman crush. I guess we could say woman crush, too. Yeah. I was just thinking about it when you were crush. saying, you know, you're the girl. Is like. Not, it's, not, not the like, not the correct term, but you know, right? I'm not really in, like, and I even said this when I wrote about it. Like, I'm not super, super like hardcore about girl versus woman. I've certainly like I think through my 30s still called myself a girl. Um, there's a point at which you really realize, and it's around 40, I think, when you start to go like, I can't, I can't do that anymore. <laughs> um, but um, so I don't mind it like that, that much, but in this particular case, I felt like it was such a, the enormity of the achievement was mm -hmm. so astronomical that I wanted to just be like, Hey, let's just all be clear. These are truly all adult women that we're talking about when we talk yeah. about this stuff. And I also understand that Taylor started young and that many of the people who are friends started young with her, but that does, I mean, look at what she's done. Yeah. You know, and that part to me, it's like, it's weird, but we still are fighting a lot of these extremely basic feminist battles. A lot of people were like, well, was, you know, the feminism in Barbie that revolutionary? And I was like, well, no, but I think we still need basic. <laughs> it <Yeah>. turns out <laughs> we still need like really basic feminism. And this is another place where I was like, you know, like when we're talking about women who are in their 30s and 40s, let's go ahead and just. It, it, who who also like kept the economy afloat, et cetera. Let's go ahead and just call them women. Like you weren't, you wouldn't call Leo DiCaprio a boy. So yeah. like, let's <laughs> <not>. yeah, <laughs> you know, let's just, let's just go ahead and give it the right term just cause it's pink. My hair is pink and I am also a woman. Like it's all of those things are true. Yeah. Like let's, let's just see what would happen if we respected women enough to like right. call them properly. Let's just see. Let's just try just that. Try it out. Just you know, Get a shot. <laughs> see what happens. And just because they were also quite feminine does not suddenly make them girls. Yeah. Like if they were acting more masculine, would then they be? I don't know. Like this is where I got kind of tripped up. I don't mind it in general, but it it it's just there's certain times when I think it's time for some extra thought and respect. Um, so I have these seven questions that I ask everybody. The first question I'm going to tell you, very low success rate. Not a lot of okay. people. It takes a lot of explanation. And then it, the answers are good, but it's a low success rate of people um, knowing what the hell I'm talking about. So we'll give it a shot here. All right. Um, do you know what Horcrux is? Not really. Success rate continues to be very low. Yeah. Um, in Harry Potter, there, uh, Voldemort would split his soul into like seven, maybe accidentally eight um, 
different parts to like spread himself all over the place so that he could, when he came back to life to be bad, this would be like all those things would come together. A little bit of a soul in every single place. When he did it, it was for bad. Assuming that you would not be using this power for bad and would be using it for good, if you had to split your soul into seven different pieces and put them in different spots, like a book or an album or a place or a time, what would Mm. be the places that you would want to? Oh my God. So that you would live on forever. Yeah, this is so, I mean, I I would, I would keep one of them doing what I do. I think I would keep one of them writing books, which is nice to know. Um, (laughs) That's a good, um, I might, I mean, I might also just like split my soul so I could write all the different things. Um, I might like write a TV show and write novels. I might write like TV and novels in addition to my books. Um, just cause those are, that's more like alternate lives or something for me. Yeah. And I feel like what I've learned is that all of these things take a lot of work. So when people, people love, like love to say to me and that's very kind of them, but they all, they love to say to me, like, do you like, did you ever think about writing for TV? As if like, this was my choice. Like <laughs> as if, if I just decided one day, mm-hmm. Good, great fortune world. I now want to write a TV show. Someone would be like, write this way, Jennifer. Um, Like each one of these things, you have to put in like a tremendous amount of work. And I really did spend some time when I was at EW researching and thinking about becoming a TV writer. Like this was something I was interested in doing um, and realized like I had to make a choice. Like you're either going to write books or you're going to, you know, and be a journalist or you're going to go off and like join a writer's room from the bottom and, you know, work your way up and do the whole thing. Yeah. So that is one way I think I, if I'm, if I'm also doing like times and places, we can add some of those and I would totally just go be in Laurel Canyon in the seven, in like the sixties. Yeah. That's very cool. That's a yeah, good place I've just to be. always wanted that yeah. period. Minus um, the murders. Very cool place. Minus the Minus murders. The so what, however, <laughs> we could piece. like, whatever time slice, like get out before, I think. I think yeah. that's the right I right think, move. Yeah. I think not after. I think before yeah. is the move. Because I think it's like the coolest. I think it's cool in the 70s too, but like, I think it's probably the coolest in the 60s before the murders. And you're just hanging out and it's like, you know, David Crosby and... Joni Mitchell and like all of these people are just and that's I don't even need a job during this time I think because like my my fantasy of it is that I just like live there and wear scarves and hang out with people and somehow I don't know how I'm making a living but that's fine um I'm just like jamming with people and hanging out and having a cool time and probably doing a lot of LSD that would be, that would be one. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Um, God, anything else? That's like one of the big, that's one of the biggest time travel things. Obviously there's huge time, you know, you could do all kinds of crazy, crazy things. Um, I don't know Would I try to like go to the, go to New York in the eighties and make friends with Nora Ephron somehow. That's, that'd be that's fun. an idea. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I think those are those are my big 
I'm sure, like I said, it's like you could go crazy. It's like there could be like just like go visit the French Revolution or something. Um, not that I have no idea why that came to my head, but um, <laughs> that's the one thing everyone has said. Can't wait to go visit the French Revolution. I don't know how that came. Like, truly, do not know. Maybe I just saw something about it or something. Maybe one other thing I would do is try to like work, just work somewhere in television in like the 80s or the 90s. Yeah, specifically, just because. I think that was kind of this this height of a certain of of like what we think of and will think of forevermore now frozen in time as like television. Yeah. Um right like there was a pilot season and then there was they made a pilot and then it was on in the everything was on in the fall and a bunch of stuff got canceled and then you had the summer off and then you did it again and you made you know there's a couple channels and huge hits you know, 40 million people are watching your Seinfeld, you know, like, yeah. I think that would be fun. Even I like just, you know, like what you do would be fun to, to do that there. Like yeah. be just on the set of like friends in the nineties, yeah. you know, th- that would just be, I'm sure there were many problems with that too, but it seems like, it seems Very. like it'd be really fun. Cause you would feel like you were at the absolute white hot center of pop culture yeah 90s television was unlike anything else right it just that we're and we didn't know it that's what's weird about it is yeah. that like at that time we could never have conceptualized that we that that was going to go away yeah and certainly lots of great things right there's been a number of wonderful things about that the fact that we get so many more options means more diversity means more voices all of these things we also know many disasters given the strikes yeah Um, yeah but you know like that's what's so it just felt like so stable and like this could never possibly change and this will always be true and it's old enough a medium at that point that they've sort of perfected it right but you know but they don't realize that they're at the actual peak and that everything's about to change and that's so now I'm thinking it's like now I would like to do all kinds of horcruxes through TV, TV history, but that's just because like that's I am a TV historian, yeah. um, you know. Because it's like now I'm like oh, but I would also actually really love to go back to, you know, um, be on the set of Betty White's show in the 50s, seeing her do her thing or whatever. Um, it seems hard that time. Like I'm not sure it would be fun as a woman. No, it but- seems. Very, very hard. Lots of people talk about people calling you girl. <laughs> yeah, that's truly. I mean, that yeah. is maybe maybe that affected me. Maybe doing that book kind of affected me because I used to be very like, who cares if girl versus woman? Yeah. Like a lot of older, you know, feminists would always get into it. And I'd be like, ah, oh, that's stupid. But when you when you get, go back to that time and you realize like everyone is calling them, you know, grown women, girl, you know, calling Betty White a girl when she's thirty two and has her own show, it's like it kind of can get to you. Yeah. I, when I read that part of the book, all I kept thinking about was just as like a, for a visual reference was, um, Sam Watterson calling Olivia Munn girl (laughs) in newsroom and her turning around in front of everybody and her turning around, just being like, I am not a girl. Exactly. I mean, that's where that stuff comes from. It's when, once you like, you just start to appreciate it's just, sometimes it can feel like, Oh, those boomer women, they're such stick in the muds or whatever. But then it's like when you start to appreciate history, you realize like, oh, there's a reason that they feel that way. Yeah. And, you know, I'm starting to feel that way now, apparently. So but there was so many. I mean, there's another part of that book where I quote like a one of the um, 
memos that the executives were going, you know, sending back and forth about Betty White's talk show and they called women dames, like yeah. without any, I mean, I kind of love that term, but it feels so weird in an official memo when they're like, well, what dames really like is to have emotional upsets in their television. It's just like, oh, wow. I cannot believe they just said all of that. They typed it out. Like yeah. probably a female secretary typed that out. Yeah. As a man uh, said it and sent it to another man. Not great. (laughs) Not great. Not great. (laughs) Um, What's your uh, most used GIF? GIF? Ooh. Let's see. That's a good question. I'm like literally going to look. These are such good questions. I love them. Thank you. Try and bring out my best for a professional, you know? (laughs) Well, and as you learned from my Mean Girls book, I learned that gifts are not cool anymore. So yeah, you know what? You know, I <laughs> I, uh, I did learn that, and I was like, "What a bummer!" This is the same thing as when I learned that the sideways smiley face is the cool one versus the or like crying laughing. The sideways one is the better one versus the regular one. I was like, "What are we doing?" Oh, I know. There's like several of those now, and I'm like, I don't know how to deal with any of this. I mean, it's probably, I think that, I mean, besides recently Mean Girls stuff, um, it's probably one of a few Britney Spears ones. Um, there, There's one where she's like making a confused-ish face when she's on um, X Factor as a judge. There's one where she's like cheering and really excited looking that I use a lot. Um and then, you know, others based on the situation. But yeah, I'm going to go with like General Brittany is probably like a big, big one for me. She makes a lot of, she, she, her face is very expressive. And yeah. so there's a lot of good ones from her. Plus, I love her. Yeah, she's great. And you've got decades of like footage to, that they can right. pull from. So it's perfect. And you've also got like really powerful dancing at times from, you know, the Brit- the baby one more time era and stuff. So there's just a lot to work with. Yeah. God, what was I? I just, there was something about Brittany that I like just recently learned. Ah, I'll remember it at some point and I'll send it to you, but it was something okay. it was fascinating around that same baby one more time era where I was like, this is fascinating. And now, uh, this makes for great podcasts is, hey, there's something. I don't remember what it is. Yeah, I don't remember what it is. That's but, right. But uh, what I remember, it's going to be cool. Um, what is something you'll never change your mind about? Oh, gosh. Mm, let's see. Probably so many things. <laughs> Reproductive rights. That's what came into my mind. <laughs> so that's yeah. what we're going with. Yeah. Um, what is your favorite picture? picture of me just in general like your favorite picture oh my gosh let's think hmm you know you can't you I mean you can sort of see it I'm just gonna point at it but you can see from see far that way back there there's a black and white photo that I'm pointing at yeah um well it is a photo that my partner Jesse took of my dad and my dad is in the military cemetery where he used to do um, like the, I'm going to get, well, funerals. Um, I think there's a, a more official term for this, but he was on the, he was like part of a team that would do the 
military burials. You know, he just, every Thursday he'd be there. They do like a 21 gun salute and a whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and first of all, those, those cemeteries, if you've ever seen them, they're very uniform. It's like every gravestone is exactly the same and they're like perfectly lined up. Um, and my dad is just standing in the cemetery wearing like kind of like casual military garb. It's just like his jacket and his little casual hat and his scarf. And he's got like his clipboard. Um, it's very, my dad. And I just love it so much. Like he just looks so, he's so content there. He was so proud of doing that. It's where he's buried now. Um, and it's just, it's like, no one's ever, it's like the perfect Ron Armstrong photo. And the fact that Jesse took it is even nicer. So I think that will always be my favorite. It's a great favorite picture. Um, what was your favorite age? Ooh. Um, mm. Trying to decide among a few options. But I think, you know, I think it's like eight. If you're, if, especially in, in childhood, and I was just thinking about this, that I, I just think, and this might be, I don't know if for everyone, but I bet for a lot of people, um, if you had a relatively happy childhood, you know, I feel like that, and maybe even more so for girls, it's like a little, 12 is getting, if, you know, you're starting to get into puberty, but you're like prepubescent, but you kind of think you figured it all out. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, you're yeah. like, I've been here for eight years now. Like, I think I've got this. I was a super confident kid too. I feel that like I'm pretty sure at least by five, I was like, yeah, I think I got this. Like, I think I've got this under control. I think I understand this life thing, mm-hmm. you know, doing it. And it definitely eight. It's like, you're, you're, I don't know, you get into, I was into so many, it's like one week you're like, I want to be a weather caster. Then you're like, no, I'm into astronomy no i'm into tell you know microscopes no i'm into chess like i can just remember just caught co- and also being super confident and just being like oh now i'm gonna learn how to play baseball now i'm gonna you know and just and at the peak of my like let's you know do a play and i would like make art and sell it to the neighbors i'm so obnoxious um just like so confident so into it you know, thinking everybody wanted to see me perform, thinking, you know, just like, and that feeling, I, I, it's like hard to ever get back there. I've just that feeling of like not questioning that everyone would want to come see me, like sing some songs or do a play or whatever. Yeah. Um, cause now it's just all you do as an adult is like, is, is this, do, uh, do people want this? I don't know. Yeah. Um, and it's just so much harder, but this, it was just such a great carefree time whereas I feel like pretty much all of my adulthood has been some form of fraught and I wish I could like get better at a pre because it's like I can look back and be like oh wasn't actually 25 was great yeah. but I'm pretty sure I was really stressed out when I was <laughs> yeah. so it, it it's hard to get back to that feeling of in childhood of just really not worrying too much about you know, I guess you don't have a lot of regrets yet and you're not that worried about the future either. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Eight is a good one. Eight is a really good one. Yeah. Um, and what are you a fan of? Oh, so many things. So many things. I'm trying to think of a good, interesting, you know what I'm going to say, because I mean, I've, I've made clear a number of my fandoms already. Um, I mean, I'm totally like a Swifty and super, super, super into Beyonce. Um, but I think one of the like things that I've become like more and more like fan fan of, you know what I mean? I feel like there's a crossover moment 
I was yeah. like, I like a thing and I'm a fan. Yeah. Um, but this year I really became a fan of Boy Genius. Yeah. That's a and good one. Kind of am like starting, I see what's starting to happen now where like I get their emails and I'm like, do I need this custom electric electric guitar by Boy Genius that has a limited number of copies? Maybe I do. Yeah. Maybe I need that. I definitely bought like the bonus vinyl album in addition to the album on vinyl that I just got recently and that was so good to listen to on vinyl. I listened to it last week. And I'm kind of just getting more, you know, like where it's like I did I'm now mad that I didn't see them when they were play when they were on tour. Yeah. Um, you know, but just like getting more and more into like maybe I need this t shirt and you know. <laughs> yeah. And very excited. I hope I hope we get more from them. I'm not sure if we know if that's happening, but Yeah, I, like I know. I feel like they're taking a break right now, right? Well, because they're like a super group. So it's one of those weird things where it's hard to know. It's they're not necessarily they could just go off and do their own stuff again, which I also like that. But I did kind of really get into them more over the course of the past year or so. Yeah, same. Somebody sent them to me and was like, I think you might like them. And uh, yeah, they're so great. I also am a sucker for like any special edition vinyl. Yeah, uh, I, I'm, my, I'm like, I want that so bad. Is it going to be the same? Yeah, obviously. But this final is yeah. yellow. I know, so it's right? Different. It's so <laughs> stupid. And the, they also had this like bonus. It's like a it's a 45. We had to. This was like a throwback for me. They cool. they had a bonus like tracks they didn't put on the album, the original album. And so I bought it, and then I went to play it on my turntable and it's like playing fast do you know what I mean like where or no slow sorry mm-hmm. where I'm like wait I think so I think I have to do something different because it's so I'm like texting my friend who t- who recommended my turntable to me and I was like I don't I think this is a 45 and I don't know what to do it's been so long and there's not like a just a setting on this thing turns out you have to move the belt Whoa. like it's like got a little conveyor belty thing that runs it I yeah. was like this is such a crazy physical visceral experience and a very digital world it was yeah. so i actually just had to like change where the belt was gnarly 45 it was wild that's the level of my fandom though is that i will change the belt <laughs> on my i like that though table. i like having to like get up and like flip I the know. record it's nice it's cool there is yeah. something i guess it's because we're everything else is so digital that to have these kinds of feelings you know even when we were talking about tv it's like where you used to get up and like turn a dial on the TV, whatever, like, yeah, I don't know, just made you make like some more conscious choices, some less conscious choices, but still it was, it's, there's something about it. That's like, Oh, this is a physical thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, social media, you want to tell people where to find you on the old social media? Yes. Um, my main ones these days, um, you never know where it's going to go next, (laughs) but my main ones these days are Instagram and TikTok. I am on both as JMK Armstrong like it um your sub stack is great by the way thank you i love it um this has been awesome i want to talk to you for five more hours i want to dive right back into (laughs) 90s television i want to talk all about everwood and the (gasps) cw wb oh everwood was so good i mean that was another one that we were con like we were all into it but it was one where it was like just not popular enough to like put on our cover but we were like that's a good, like I love that like that's what I mean about Greek it's kind of the same like warm there's something soul affirming about certain things that yeah. it's like not dark or 
complicated that we don't get a ton of these days. And I always love when you can find those sort of just like not cheesy, but heartwarming. Yeah. Things. That's whatever wood was. It was not cheesy, but it was just lovely. And it was just about like people and their relationships. And we just don't get a lot of that anymore. Yeah. It's just very sweet. Set in a, you know, Utah train station. What more could you possibly <sighs> want out of a television? Love it. And you're making me want to watch it again. Keep going back and forth. <laughs> that one. I also want to turn on Studio 60. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. And I'm doing six feet under right now. So I can only do one rewatch at a time. Thanks so much for listening. If you're looking for Jennifer, you can find her on Instagram and Twitter at JMK Armstrong. If you're looking for the show, we are at Kim Moffat is a fan on Instagram and TikTok. And if you're looking for me, I am at Kim Moffat on Instagram and Twitter and at Kim Moffat is here on TikTok. If you have a few minutes, please rate and review the show so that more people can find these episodes. And um, that's it. Thank you so much. I appreciate you listening. Have a great week.